This great King Nebuchadnezzar saw this great statue, gold and then silver and then bronze and then iron, down at the feet, iron and clay mixed, and then a rock cut without hands. And in the scripture, that's a clear indication, not something man came up with, something God did. This rock lands on it and the whole thing is demolished. It speaks of the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. So you have here in verse 44, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Today, he's not landing on people, smattering them, you know. He's saying to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But many people, Jew and Gentile alike, stumble on him. And to stumble on him is to miss everything. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 21 titled, A Stone of Stumbling and a Rock of Offense. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. And I read that passage over in John 12 to remind us that much unbelief is really its root cause is loving the approval of man rather than the approval of God. For this cause, they would not believe, it says in John 12, for they loved the approval of man rather than the approval of God. And so they, verse 27, notice Jesus said, they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. Then he said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Uh, and let me just say, agnosticism, who can know? I don't know for sure. Often, maybe always, it's bred of a heart that doesn't want to submit itself to God. Well, then he told the story about the two sons and a brilliant story that Jesus gave to teach us that salvation is by grace, but where, the, where, there's, where he touches our lives, when we really believe in the Lord Jesus, he will change us from the inside out. And the son who did the will of the Father, and that's been a theme we've seen develop through Matthew. Uh, he maybe didn't say he would at the start, but he did. He's the one who did the will of his Father. And where there's real belief, there will be a life transformation. Now, verse 33. Listen to another parable. Let me just say, you're here. Listen to this parable. Listen to another. And this isn't just another parable. This is perhaps one of the most clear, profound, instructive, powerful parables that Jesus gave. Listen up. Uh, you know, and as I've said, parables are simple stories of life. Uh, the word parable, ballo, to cast, and para, beside. So you take an everyday occurrence. I was driving downtown, you know, and a guy cut me off in this lane. Everybody understands that. Then you say, now, there's a parallel to the, what happens in an everyday situation to spiritual truth. Well, that's what a parable is. And Jesus says, now listen to this parable. Then he tells the story. And they lived in an agricultural world. This was an easy story for them. Actually, it's pretty easy for us, too, even though most of us are a little bit removed from, uh, you know, farming and, and, and uh, vineyards and that sort of thing. But let me just read it. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it 
and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. It was sort of a tenant farming arrangement. He built the place, he owned the place, he built it and got it ready, and then he rented it out to tenant farmers who would make part of the profit and give part of it to the owner. And so that's what he, he went on his journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Wow. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first. And they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Wow, this is some story. It's not your everyday, no. It's an amazing story, but everybody, it's fairly clear, isn't it? I mean, you can, you live in Portland, you can understand it. You live in first century Palestine, Israel, you can understand what he said. You, your question might be, why? What, what? But this story is fairly clear. On top of this, I want, if you have an Old Testament, turn to Isaiah. Isaiah is, uh, the greatest of the prophets, and uh, Isaiah, but the prophets are uniform. The Old Testament is uniform in identifying Israel as God's vineyard, okay? And I just want to read Isaiah 5 uh, as a backdrop. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones. By the way, parenthetically, if you've ever been to Israel, they don't use barbed wire. You know, They make the fences out of stones because uh, there's a lot of rocks over there. And I was over in eastern Oregon looking at how, you know, on corner posts, we'll put a basket of rocks to hold the thing so you can stretch the wire. But uh, over there, man, a lot of the fences are just stones because they had so much, they'd clear the land and make a stone hedge between the fields. Well, anyway, he dug it all around, removed its stones. In other words, he did a lot of work. He planted the ch it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And then he expected it to produce good grapes. But it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Capital M, me. This is the Lord speaking. Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done it? 
Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. Wow. For the vineyard, verse 7, of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Now, I, uh, I will tell you that these religious leaders, when they heard this parable, oh, Isaiah 5 came to mind. This was a clear teaching of the prophets that God's vineyard was going to be judged. And uh, God's vineyard, there was no speculation left. He said, the vineyard is Israel. My beloved vineyard is Israel. Now, come back to the parable with me, and let's just listen to it. The landowner, verse 3, carefully planted and provided and even protected his vineyard. Then he entrusted it, verse 34, to vine growers, tenant farmers, expecting to receive his produce, his literally fruit, the fruit of the vine. Uh, I say that because the Bible has a lot of uh, talking about fruit. And that literally, if, you, if you're reading this in the original, it's just, hey, he expected fruit, you know, which makes sense. And uh, the shocking response. Verse 35, the vine growers, when he sent his slaves to get his share of the fruit, they beat one, killed another, stoned a third. What a shock in this simple story. And then it gets worse. Verse 36, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. It's a shocking, wicked Response. Now, this world is full of shocking, wicked activities. Don't dream. Don't try to dream that everything's nice in this world. It's not true. And this story Jesus gives is meant to shock us and see how wicked this really is. But afterward, verse 37, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among them, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And we'll seize everything. It'll be ours. And they took him, cast him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, so far, they're just hearing this story, and they're listening And Jesus kind of lets them finish the story. Notice verse 40. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? What do you think is going to happen next? What will they, when when the owner comes, they've killed his slaves. They've tried to, they thought they, 
I sent my son? And they killed my son? What will the owner do when he comes? And they answered. They said to him, verse 41, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. Correct. They answered. They got caught up in the story. Jesus let them finish the story. What do you suppose is going to happen when the owner comes? And they answered very correctly. In fact, if you're just sitting here listening, you can sense that, can't you? Wouldn't we answer the same way? What will he do? Jesus said, verse 42, now with devastating clarity, Jesus applies the parable. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He brings the story right to bear. He says, have you never read the Bible? Didn't you read in the scriptures? Their ignorance was born of not reading the scripture. Oh, there's a lot of people in Portland who play the ignorant card. Maybe you. I meet men who tell me, I haven't read the Bible. Well, why not? I don't have time. Listen, you might be here and you don't believe the Bible's the Word of God. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. I, I do believe it is, the, it is the Word of God, I'll tell you that. But I'm just saying it claims to be. It's the most published, printed, read book in all the world. Don't play the ignorant card. <laughs> I never paid any attention to that. Didn't you read, he said? Now, in their case, there's scads of people in Portland who have read the Bible but just didn't listen to it. And in their case, oh, they'd read it. They'd read it, but he says, didn't you read in the scripture? Didn't you listen? The stone, he quotes the 118th Psalm. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. The very stone that the builders said we can't use that became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes I could quote many other scriptures. Jesus could have. He quotes the 118th Psalm, but he could have said, didn't you read in the scriptures? The one that men considered just a, a root out of parched ground, no stately form or majesty. This was the Lord, Isaiah 53. The one whom men crucified. There's a description of the crucifixion, did you know? Written 1,000 years B.C., David wrote the 22nd Psalm before the Romans had even invented the hideous, torturous form of execution called crucifixion. You can read the description. It's the most vivid description in the Bible, by the way, where it goes into detail about what it's like to hang on that cross. It starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus could have quoted many places, but he quotes the 118th Psalm. And uh, then, notice verse 43. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God 
will be taken away from you and be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. He'll bring those wretches to a wretched end. Yeah, didn't you read in the scripture? The stone which God was going to use as the cornerstone that you rejected, God is setting a cornerstone. And he is building his church. And the cornerstone, the foundation, is Jesus Christ himself, the one whom they killed. God sent prophet after prophet to Israel. And they didn't listen. And in fact, they beat one and killed another throughout their history. Finally, he sends his son, and they crucify him. The kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you. He's speaking to the religious leaders and given to a nation that produces the fruit of it. By the way, today, the gospel has gone out to Jew and Gentile alike. Israel crucified their king, and the gospel has gone out to individuals, Jew and Gentile. God isn't really, right now, saving nations. He's saving what? Individuals. Whoever will call on his name. But he calls us a nation. Uh, turn over to 1 Peter and just take a look at that real quickly. 1 Peter 2, where he quotes this psalm again. Peter is writing chapter 2, verse 4, "...coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house." for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now look back at our parable, and Jesus said, God's going to take away from you the kingdom and give it to a nation producing the fruit of it. And then he says this, he who falls on this stone, this cornerstone, will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Again, if you're speaking to someone who's read the Old Testament, this cornerstone Jesus Christ himself. If you stumble on him, notice the first part of verse 44, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. I meet people today who say, I believe in God, but I just can't get this Jesus thing, and they stumble on Jesus. That's, it says here, to be broken in pieces. The stone that you stumbled on breaks you in pieces. But then he goes on and says, and on whomever it falls, it will scatter. Two different pictures. Stumbling on this stone of stumbling and then having this rock of offense fall on you. And Daniel, 
Back in Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had that great dream of this great statue. And he said, there's going to come a stone. And he said, this is to tell you how the world's going to end, how the end will be. He said, these great kingdoms will come. We don't have the time. I just looked at the clock. I won't, I won't have us go there, but I'll just describe it to you. You can go read it. Daniel chapter 2. This great king Nebuchadnezzar saw this great statue, gold and then silver and then bronze and then iron. Down at the feet, iron and clay mixed. And then a rock cut without hands. And in the scripture, that's a clear indication. Not something man came up with, something God did. This rock lands on it and the whole thing is demolished. It speaks of the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. So you have here in verse 44... The first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Today, he's not landing on people, smattering them, you know. He's saying to you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But many people, Jew and Gentile alike, stumble on him. And to stumble on him is to miss everything. And there's coming a day when he'll return and all the great kingdoms of mankind, all the great honors of man, everything about man, everything will be ended when Jesus Christ returns. When the chief priests, verse 45, and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they became afraid of the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. They understood exactly what he was saying. Oh, we got to stop. But I will just say, reread this, think about it. And the Gospels and the Epistles clearly tie this, uh, interpret this parable for us. It doesn't need much interpretation. But Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh in the first chapter of John. He came to the world. The world didn't know him. He came to his own people, Israel, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. Today is the day of salvation. Whether you're Jew, Gentile, religious, irreligious, moral, upright, or immoral by man's standards, the Bible says we're all sinners. But when you come to Jesus Christ, he changes you from the inside out. Don't stumble on the stone of stumbling because he's coming back. And they understood what he was saying. And their response was to try to kill him all the more, but they were worried what the crowd would say. What a poignant parable this is. And today I plead with you, come to Jesus Christ. Enjoy him. Know, Christian, that as you follow him, you're following the one who's in charge of history. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, A Stone of Stumbling and a Rock of Offense, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. 
So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station, and we invite you to AbideInTheWord.us to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? God gave a book to the world. It's the most published book of all time. It's been translated into more languages. It has been printed in more formats. There's no excuse to not have read the Bible. I've never really read the Bible. Well, start, <laughs> I tell people. Read it. Now, I don't mean to be abrupt or ugly about it, because I know before I came to Christ, before you came to Christ, if you're a Christian, maybe you were heedless of the Bible, you know, and, you, and it, it kind of bugged you because it just seemed like a book of rules or something because it's been misinterpreted so often. But I say to you, read the Scripture. Well, anyway, he said, didn't you guys read in the Scripture? Then he quotes the 118th Psalm. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. God is building something. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Did You Never Read? Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 